0: Welcome to Achieve Wealth through Value Add Real Estate Investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. This webinar was previously recorded and converted to a listening format. Now, please enjoy this timely and valuable market information from expert commercial real estate investor, James Candasami and special guests.
1: Beginning here. So depreciation, again, you can either take it over 27 and a half or 39 year period, a little bit each year, this deduction, or you can accelerate that depreciation into these different categories. And how that works, uh, we'll just show a, a simple example. Okay, let's say you buy a property for a million dollars. You always have to take off a certain amount for land. We're going to use 15% here, which is a pretty national average, although it is going to depend. Uh, Certain accountants will use like a safe harbor of 20%. Certain areas will, like California, can be up to 50 or 60% land value. And other areas uh, have had certain properties where it's even less than 1% land value. So it really does depend on the location just use this simple number here and what left, what's left is $850,000. That's the amount that you can depreciate over that total of 27 and a half or 39 years. What that looks like with straight line depreciation and every single accountant uses this and knows what depreciation is, but they may not know how cost irrigation works and how to do this because as I said, it requires an engineering component to it. Um, and again, if, if anyone has any questions, please don't hesitate to put them in the chat and we will get to them either now or at the end. Um, And so what we're doing is taking a little bit every year for straight line commercial property, $21,000 every single year. That's great, right off the top, okay? For residential or multifamily properties, $30,909, right? About $30,000 a year. And again, this is an average and based on that million dollar property. So if you make, let's say $50,000, from your property, your net income, after all expenses, after debt service, everything like that, you're still left with, even after the simple depreciation deduction, you're still left with a tax exposure of about $20,000. Well, that's not too bad. I mean, you've just saved a lot of money in taxes just simply because that depreciation deduction. However, with cost segregation by front loading, we'll get into the numbers shortly. We're able to, in the first five years, typically double or triple that $30,000 deduction so that you will have literally no tax liability left again during those earlier years. So, the whole strategy of cost segregation is by, you know, and we'll get to how this works, but essentially, what we're doing is taking an engineering study of the property. Okay. Uh, similar to an appraisal, when you think of an appraiser, you get someone come out there and they're looking at them, taking pictures and measurements and everything like that, and making a uh, you know a laundry list of everything that's in the property and all the details. So too, we're doing that, but we're just applying our engineers are applying the tax code to that. And the tax code, there's something called the cost recovery system or the macros, right? That system delineates every single type of property that there is, every single type of component or asset in a property and says what the, what the useful life or the lifespan is. And a large amount of things are gonna go on these faster depreciation schedules. So imagine like this, you have this pool of potential deductions that you can take over a 27 and a half year period. And instead of waiting and just taking a little bit every single year, you can pull from that pool and take a large amount sometimes and we'll get to the real numbers, but something's up to 20 or 30% of that over the first few years, or even in the first year, so that's really the benefit is we're right. We're breaking out these individual components, showing what their shorter lives are, and then accelerating those tax deductions and getting you more cash flow. Simply put, that's in a nutshell how depreciation works, how cost works. So here's, uh, and someone had a question. No, okay, that's when I had their mic on there. Um, How this, this is an example, okay, taken from our case study, what we're going to get to later on. And I don't know if you can see this too well, but these are examples of these different categories. So again, we always have land, which doesn't depreciate, and then you have the building, the structure, and that's what depreciates on that 27 and a half year schedule. But what's, you know, the structural components, that's like the walls, the foundation, the roof windows doors and then the infrastructure like plumbing and electric. but everything else can actually be identified and depreciated faster. So things that are called five-year property or personal tangible property this can include stuff like uh, you know building mounted signage right you would never think about building mounted signage but these are actually categories and terms from the tax code right but things like right equipment and furniture and appliances right we all understand those things are movable tangible but things like moldings or millwork you may not think, or carpeting or vinyl flooring, all of that actually depreciates on a five-year schedule as well. So by identifying all of that and cabinets, countertops, we're able to uh, identify what those things are, how much of them are in the property, and then what the value of those individual components are and then take those tax deductions at that faster rate. So again, this is going to increase your cash flow. And again, this the third category here is the 15-year land improvements. And this can include anything like concrete, right? Fencing, landscaping, et cetera, all of these different things that are outside. Remember, land doesn't depreciate, but what's on top of the land does. And so you can have tons of stuff, especially like in a multifamily uh you know, garden style apartment, like the, the ones that you guys buy huge amounts of parking space, right? Huge amounts of, uh, you know, landscaping, maybe you'll have a swimming pool or, you know, lounge chairs and things like that. All of that is considered 15-year land improvements. And the reason why this is so important, yeah, you're thinking 15 years, that's a long time also, right? It's faster than 27 and a half, but not so fast. Well, guess what? With bonus depreciation, as we're going to see shortly, you can actually get that in the first year, all of these deductions. Okay, so this is just kind of breaking down how conservation works. We're gonna get into the nitty gritty uh, of it with the case study. Um, but a lot of people ask well, how much actually are we gonna get in these tax deductions for different types of properties? And can you do this for everything? Yes, you can do a conservation for every type of property imaginable besides for your personal residence. Okay, so you cannot do this for your personal residence, but any business or investment or rental property you can do this for and why i say business property does anyone here know someone who uh, who happens to own a property that their business owns but they're not necessarily real estate investors like think about a doctor or a dentist that owns the office that uh, that they practice out of maybe rent some other space to other tenants but maybe they just you know take it up on their own or maybe a, a manufacturer or a company that has a warehouse that they store their products and goods in, or, you know, manufacturing facility. So they can also take this as a business uh, deduction depreciation. So really important to know, obviously, it's not just for passive investing. um, But apartments typically have, you know, a large amount, you know, on average, about 27%. On average, certainly some can be less, some can be more. And that will get you meaning from the purchase price after we subtract land, about 27% on average can be accelerated that depreciation. Okay, so we'll get into the numbers shortly what that actually looks like. Short term rentals are also a huge one, about 30% on average. Um, you know, grocery stores, hotels have a lot of equipment, a lot of furnishings. That's where you're gonna get more. Offices a little bit less, warehouses a little bit less, mobile home parks as you can see really off the charts because essentially all you're buying is the land but the land improvements, what's on top of the land and that's the majority of what you have there. So mobile home parks can literally be 50 to 80%. So a large amount there. Okay, so um, what, yeah, so let's see here. Um, So just to recap here, just to recap, what we're doing is we're reducing our tax liability. Remember, we're not necessarily getting a cash refund. Okay, What we're doing by taking these accelerated deductions, we're reducing the tax liability during the earlier years, which in turn increases cash flow. More cash flow means more money to reinvest. That's the time value of money. Having this money now instead of five years from now think about this. We all know what inflation is doing uh, to our country right now, having money now where you don't actually have to pay the taxes. Every accountant that I've ever spoken to who is uh, you know savvy accountant has told me that the first thing that you always want to see is how many uh, things can you defer? How much tax can you defer? right? Think about that. Don't think about paying now. How can I get to that later? Because who knows what's going to be later on? Maybe later on you you won't have a you know a high tax rate. Maybe later on you won't have you'll have other losses or other deductions. Right now, how can we defer? Then what can we deduct? Okay, so these are the two most important things because the time value of money, your cash that you can use to reinvest, that's probably the most important thing. Um, so I see someone here put in the chat: Can you apply this depreciation to ATM machines in the first year? Yeah, absolutely. ATM machines are not really uh, Real estate, and so they're not property per se, but lots of equipment, yeah, and things like that. You can take depreciation the first year. ATMs included, so it's different than property real estate, where we actually have to do the conservation to break down those components uh, into their different lifespans. But if you buy a piece of equipment, or like an ATM, or you buy like you know a tractor, that can be fully depreciated in the first year. Uh, there's no cost segregation necessary because again, we're not. Breaking out. Think about segregation. We're breaking out the cost into different categories. Um, I see someone else sent me a message here. Non-owner occupied, single through six-unit properties can be cost segregated as well. Um, yeah, I mean any types of property, Single families, absolutely. Any type of property can do cost segregation. Um, so let's let's move right along here, and we got. You know, and I have a lot, a lot of clients right now uh, who are using short-term rentals. And I'll talk about that in a little while. There's a special benefit with regard to short-term rentals. I'll talk about that when we get to the real estate professional status, but tons of people doing these Airbnb, short-term rentals, single families, just getting huge, huge amounts of tax benefits there. Sorry, make sure everyone's on mute. Uh, Please mute yourself if you join late. Awesome. Great. Uh, so you got a lot, a lot of people joining here. So I'll just keep going. Uh, but guys, if you have joined late, please do not hesitate to ask any questions. We, uh, we are very friendly here. And if we don't answer now, we'll answer at the end. But I like to take answers, answer questions in the middle because it just keeps you guys more engaged. Um, so let's see here. Who should we do? I'll ask the questions now. Who should be doing a cost study? Anyone know? Can anyone do it? The answer is yes, anyone. The only one who can't is if you are not a, um, if you're a government entity, if you're a non-profit, if you're non-taxable. And another really important type of uh, you know investor who cannot really benefit from cost is if you are investing through a retirement account. And this is very common, right? If you are self-directing your 401k uh, or Roth IRA, you know, they call them qualified retirement plans, right? Those things are already tax shelters and therefore can't benefit from the the depreciation. If you have a huge amount of investors in a syndication who are who are doing that, it may not be beneficial to use the constigation because again, those investors won't be able to benefit from it. Certain sites with self-directed IRAs can benefit. You're still going to have the ubit tax there, but it still can be beneficial. So again, there are different types of retirement accounts. I highly recommend you you know checking that out, but uh, just know when it applies, when it doesn't apply. But it doesn't matter if you own the property on your own, if you own it through an LLC, if you own it with a corporation, a partnership, anytime. And very common with syndications, you will have general partners, limited partners who invest through a tenants in common or who invest through an LLC. And everyone will receive their depreciation according to their percentage of ownership. So if you invest in a syndication and you're getting you know, 5% of the total equity of the property through your investment, that means you will get 5% of the depreciation that is passed through. Okay. So if there comes through a million dollars of depreciation, right, your 5% is going to get you uh $5,000. Uh, how much is that? $50,000. Uh, so yeah, definitely really important see a few questions over here. Should we take them now? Does it also apply to long-term single-family home rentals? Yes, Kenar, it can apply to long-term single-family home rentals. However, I, I will point out shortly when we get to the real estate professional status, it may not be so beneficial for long-term rentals because um, usually the depreciation for long-term rentals, regular straight-line depreciation usually wipes out any income that you have since most long-term, long-term, short-term, long-term, why am I saying long-term, short-term? Long-term rentals, are uh, don't really cash flow so much, right? Uh, and so therefore, the regular depreciation deduction is usually going to be enough to wipe out all that cash flow. Uh, so unless you're a real estate professional, it's probably not going to be so beneficial. Okay, let's. So now we're here. The real estate professional says this is going to open up a lot, guys. Right when we get to this, and I see there's some questions here already about passive investors. Um, you know, W-2. Let's let's check this out. So hopefully this. Page is going to answer some of those questions already. And if not, we'll get to them. First definition, this is taken directly from the IRS. What this is, is when you file your tax return, you have a line that asks you for your occupation. If you write real estate professional, that means that you are defined as follows, that either you or your spouse spends the majority of your time, right? More than half of the personal services performed in the trader business materially participating in the real estate, real property trader business. So what is that? Again, this is a real property trader business, developing, redeveloping, constructing, reconstructing, acquiring, converting, renting, leasing, operating, managing, or brokering. Only these things and these things only can be uh, determined. And this can include a lot. Renting, leasing, operating, managing can include a lot of different activities. But again, it really means that you are owning and managing your own properties. That's essentially what this means. Brokering it just means that you're a real estate broker or realtor. You are automatically a real estate professional. However, you're still going to need what's called hours of materially participating in the real estate. And this is something that throws a lot of people off. So two things. Number one, more than half of your personal services means, okay, you would think, right, it means Okay, if I spend 40 hours a week in my W-2 and 41 hours a week on my, uh, you know, 30 rental properties that I own, right, fixing everything, then I wouldn't qualify, right? Wrong. Unfortunately, the IRS doesn't see it the same way you and I would, right, with logic. (laughs) The IRS doesn't necessarily see things with logic. They say it's not possible for someone to work more than 40 hours a week, so you must be lying right? Either you're not W-2 or you're not managing your properties, but it's impossible. Essentially, if you have a W-2, you cannot also qualify as a real estate professional, okay? That means every single court case that has ever been brought up in tax court uh, where people have tried to claim that, it's been overruled and thrown out. So even though the definitions here says more than half your time, I'm telling you the reality is you cannot have a W-2 and also, uh, be a real estate professional, however your spouse can. And that's the great thing. If you're married, of course, it's great for many reasons, but this, right, I'm not necessarily giving, you know, marriage advice over here, right? Don't go find a partner. Maybe I actually know someone who want to make like a dating service, you know, real estate professional dating service, right? If you're, you're a high W-2 earner on one side, right? Real estate professionals on the other side, right? Let's make some matches. Um, no, it doesn't necessarily work that way. But if you are a higher W-2 earner, your spouse is a real estate professional or vice versa, then you can bet. Why is this so important? Why are we talking about this real estate professional status, you may ask, okay? This is why. Depreciation is considered a passive deduction, okay? Rental income, your real estate income, if you invest in real estate or you own properties, all of that income is treated as passive income, even though you may not think it's very passive, but it's on your Schedule E on your tax return. It's in one bucket passive income. Your W 2 or any other services, 1099, that's considered active income. Schedule C. You cannot use depreciation, which is a passive deduction, to offset your st- Schedule C or active income. It only goes to offset your passive rental or investment income. And this is really important. So for everyone, that's how depreciation works, except for this real estate professional. Okay. If you're a real estate professional, you don't have that limitation, meaning your depreciation can now be used not only against your rental Schedule E income, it can also be used against your Schedule C or W 2 or your spouse's W 2 income. That's why this is so important because otherwise, you're right, using concentration is really great to get all these deductions. But if you can't use those deductions, they're not really so great after all. OK, you will create big passive losses and they will help you in the future. And that's really what I want to talk about a little bit for passive investors, because for passive investors, if you're not a W-2, then all this extra depreciation is going to create this passive loss. Well, that's great because essentially any earned income you have from your rentals, or your investments is going to be wiped out. Right, you won't be taxed on that income, and you'll have an extra loss that you can carry forward, and you can use at the time of the sale as a that passive loss can actually help to reduce your capital gain uh, or your passive gains on the sale. So there is a benefit during right this year to, for the income, and also the benefit on the sale uh, if for using those passive losses. So I'm going to get to a couple questions here in the chat. Um, uh, there is one exception There's actually a couple exceptions. One exception is if you make less than $100,000 of adjusted gross income, you can take $25,000 of these passive losses to offset your W-2, and this phases out up to $150,000. So if you make more than $150,000 of adjusted gross income, you cannot use any of these losses, like I mentioned. Um, but between that, less than 100 or up to 150 you can take some of these deductions against your W-2, okay? Um, The one other exception is short-term rentals. As I mentioned earlier, if you manage self-managed short-term rentals and the average stay is less than seven days and you only spend 100 hours a year, right? You can still have a W-2 job, but you are spending about 100 hours a year and more time than anyone else, you can actually then use these depreciation deductions to offset your W-2 income as well. So that's another benefit. So again, the two exceptions are less than $100,000 adjusted gross income or short-term rentals. Okay. So um, let's get to some of these questions in the chat. I see there's some people in the waiting room there also. Trevor, there you go. You got them. Um, So let's see here before we move on with this to the case study here. We've got some great questions here. Charles asks "A passive investor in a multifamily for hundred thousand investment, I may get 75 plus percent of bonus depreciation because the lender does not get any. They're split among the investors. Yeah, excellent point. Your depreciation, I'll, I'll kind of break that down and explain that for anyone who didn't understand the question, is depreciation is based on the purchase price, even if it was financed, right? The purchase price determines what your depreciation is. So let's give a quick example. If you buy a property, all cash, okay, all cash, million dollar property. And we're able to take 20% of that as what's called bonus depreciation. That means that faster depreciation that we're gonna take in the first year, that's called bonus depreciation. Actually, that's the next slide over here, bonus depreciation. So let's talk about bonus depreciation first and then I'll explain Charles's question. (laughs) Bonus depreciation means, and this was introduced in 2017 in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that says that once you've done a cost irrigation study and have determined all of those things that depreciate faster, remember, let's go back to the slide with the five-year property, the 15-year property, right? All these stuff that depreciates faster. We've said, oh, this is about, let's say 20%. We said 27% on average. Let's keep a round number. Let's say 20% of the purchase price. Because again, we're going to allocate land, doesn't depreciate. $200,000 or a million dollar property can now be spread out instead of just over five years, over can take upfront up front in the first year. Okay, that's what bonus depreciation is. Next year, it's going to start to phase out, okay? which means it's going to go down to 80% and by 20% each year uh, after that. What that means is, now let's go back to Charles' example there. If I buy a million dollar property, and I buy it all cash, okay, and I get a $200,000 bonus depreciation, meaning I can take that accelerated depreciation the first year, that means that I get 20% of my investment, right? Back as a first year deduction, because I paid all cash million dollars and a 20%, $200,000 deduction, that's 20% of my cash investment. However, that same million dollar property, if I bought with a loan for an 80% LTV, little aggressive, not giving advice here, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, just illustrate an example. And you bought that with depreciate, with uh, a loan, $800,000, $800,000, and you only put in, Right, you or investors together put in 20% down payment, $200,000. And that same property gets $200,000 of bonus depreciation. Well, now you have taken what, what people like to say, 100% of my investment is now being reflected with that bonus depreciation. Okay. So that's how, and, and Charles said 75%, because not everyone's taking an 80% loan to value. Some people are taking more 70% or 65%, which is going to change the amount of depreciation you're going to get per, right? Proportionate to the investment that you put in. Uh, I hope that was clear. It's a little bit confusing and there are some other factors in there, uh, but that's a really, really important thing. You may see some investment offerings saying, well, we're going to get you know, 75% bonus depreciation per, you know, investment or, you know, 65% or 100%. It's a little confusing if you don't know what that means, Um, but essentially what it means is, like I said, based on your investment, how much of the depreciation are you going to get back in the first year? And then what that actually means to you is going to be different for every person. So Len Denden asked a great question hear about will costing beneficial some of w2 making over 160 owns multifamily follow-up question my spouse qualifies so i hope i answered both of those questions yeah and does manning property managing a property manager count as managing that is an excellent question managing a property manager does count as managing um but it's going to be uh there's going to be some limitations there right if if you're not actually doing any any of the actual you know work asset management right that is that is going to be included there however um you have to actually own the property. That's something really important. Just being a property manager for someone else, unless you actually own some of that real estate itself, is not going to help you. Uh, So that's a really important distinction too. Okay. Canary asks, does time spent networking and going networking meets like this one qualify for the time spent? Some of it can. Uh, I would just consult with your accountant. um, What? How much of that you're willing, uh, you're actually able to write off. If it's really educational and it's specifically for your business, then it is much more likely the time spent. Um, however, if it's just networking events, usually not. Okay, so there are some distinctions there. Uh, but again, check with your accountant how you how to calculate those things. And then Wakuna asked, how does the QBI deduction work for real estate investors? Qualified business uh, deduction. I think that's what you're talking about. Uh, that will apply if you have a, a business, right? You can have a QBI, which essentially is about a 20% deduction right off the top. So, so a little bit different here, but yeah, that can actually help you as well. Okay, so moving right along, I think we're up to when is the best time to get this done, and how are we doing it on time, Trevor? I'm not really paying attention. We're to doing the time. good. Yep. Okay. And keep the questions coming, my friends. This is this is great, and and uh, great to see a lot of familiar faces popping in here as well, all well, faces and names, it's not everyone has their screen on, but but great to see you all and hopefully uh, we'll chat shortly. So yeah, let's let's jump in here. When should you be doing this? Most people like to get this done right at the beginning, right? First off, buy a property, get the costing done, get it out of the way. The reason for that is because you can, the main benefit from the cost is gonna be on the acquisition itself. If you buy a you know, $10 million property and you can get 20% of that right away, that's gonna be a huge benefit, right? However, when you do a renovation, you can do a supplemental study. And that's really important because any money that's spent can be depreciated, okay? And added to your depreciation schedule and some of those costs can be broken down into different categories. Um, However, just important to note, if you get your property appraised for a higher value, that does not change your depreciation whatsoever. Very common question I get: What if I, you know, bought it really inexpensive? Someone bought a property, told me for like eighty thousand dollars, and put in, you know, some money into it, and now it's worth five hundred thousand dollars. Like, that's that's incredible. <laughs> that was a really distressed property. You um, did a great job, but unfortunately, for depreciation purposes, it's not going to benefit you because it's only based on the purchase price. The only time that changes, again, is when you add money in. If you add capital improvements, that renovation money can be added to your depreciation basis as well. You can do a follow up, what we call a renovation study. This can also be done on a property purchased in a previous tax year. So let's say you didn't do a cost you didn't know about it, or you just decided it wasn't a good time to do it. Uh, but this year, like, hey, I have a big tax liability, or I have, you know, a capital event where I'm going to have a lot of in a lot of gains, uh, capital gains, you can use depreciation, those losses, to offset those capital gains from real estate, and so therefore you can actually do it this year, and this is done without amending previous year's tax returns. You can basically just catch up whatever depreciation you missed that you could have taken. So uh, we always like to run, uh, and, and Trevor and, and James can you know comment on this. We like to run a free what we call a feasibility analysis, which is like an estimate essentially to show you front what our projections would be, in most companies will do this and provide the numbers so you can have a good idea of what you're getting into, you know, what the real benefits are going to be before, you know, spending a dime and getting anything done. Um, And so, yeah, you can do that at any point, like, you know, just under contract or you're just looking at a property, like, hey, what would the numbers be here, Yona? And we can uh, can run those numbers for you. And then, uh, so let's, I guess we're going to jump in right now to this. Um, Yeah, so 302 Kenton J., uh, I think that's your name, right? If I was pronouncing that correctly, um, that's like an acronym for something. No, um, but how far back can one go to look back? You can go back as far as you want. There's no limitations. Uh, however, it really doesn't make sense to go back too far. Uh, probably over five, five to six years, maybe more if larger if it's a larger property. Because once you've already depreciated a large amount, there's not a lot to to kind of work with to to pull from that uh, to catch up. So again, most properties, you know, five, six years is really, you know, a good idea. If it's more than that, it would really depend on, again, the size and the type of property, how far far back you can go for the look back, but excellent question. So this is a great story over here. Um, Someone purchased a property for, you know, 1.75 million, beautiful property here. Uh, Again, 32 unit, this was a few, few years ago, as you can tell. Because nowadays, uh, 1.75 million would probably buy you like a duplex, right? Uh, but this is this was a few years ago that he bought this in North Carolina, and it was after many single-family residents. The reason why I'm saying this is because this individual ended up selling off all of his single-family properties, uh, but was not able to do a 1031 exchange. Okay, 1031 exchange would allow you to sell one property and instead of selling it through a regular transaction, exchange it for another property or other properties and defer your capital gain tax, defer recapture tax. However, he wasn't able to do that for various reasons, wasn't able to find the properties, et cetera, and so he was gonna be hit with about a $300,000 capital gain tax bill from this event. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is going to become apparent shortly. So this property without cost segregation, remember, you can take regular straight line depreciation, would have gotten about $54,000 of income, uh, excuse me, of depreciation deduction, which is great. But with about $120,000 of net income from this property, he was still going to be hit with you know a sizable tax bill, right? About $70,000 left to be taxed, whatever tax rate he was at. And so therefore, by doing a conservation study, we can see the real numbers here, how we broke it down. We have 15% we allocated to land. Land does not depreciate, but the remaining amount is now split up into these categories. After all is said and done, after a detailed conservation study is done, we're able to come up with these numbers, right? About a million dollars and change is going to the 27 and a half year. Again, remember the majority of the value is always gonna be in the infrastructure and the structural components of the property, about 72%. But the remaining 28% is going into these faster, right? 15% to land improvements, about eight, excuse me, 15 year property, 8%. And then the five year property, remember that's all the appliances, furniture, equipment, carpeting, vinyl, right? Cabinets, anything that's non-structural inside, about 20%. So all in all, it was over $420,000. Well, guess what? That $420,000 was taken as bonus depreciation and he was able to upfront write off the entire income tax liability he had and the entire $300,000 capital gain tax that he had was wiped out as well. So there's another important thing to note, as I mentioned earlier, this can be beneficial not only for your income, for your passive income, remember, not your W2, unless you're a real estate professional, but also can be used against other passive gains as well. Um, so that's in a nutshell, cost segregation, guys. Um, this is, you know, if you, if you wanna take a deep dive into the cost segregation audit techniques guide, you go to the IRS's website and you can learn all about it there, uh, especially if you have insomnia, I highly recommend it. And um, this, uh, yeah, it, it really, there's a lot of details that go into it. So this is not kind of a fly-by-night thing that anyone can just go ahead and do, there you know requires the engineering company to go out and prepare a detailed report There's a whole methodology and numbering system you know a documentation property referring to the tax code all that kind of stuff so it's it is a pretty detailed um
0: that's it for this episode if you'd like to learn even more check out james's free audiobook it's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing you can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free Also, be sure to join our Facebook group, too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode
1: next week. See you then.